And a very good evening from Damien O'Mara. It is three minutes past six. This You lose track of what day it is. Thursday? It is Thursday, isn't it? Christmas is like three days away. Days kind of all lose meaning at this stage. But anyway, you're very welcome to the programme. Uh, thank you for your company. We hope you can stick with us between now and seven o'clock. Uh, coming up, the return of the Premier League. We're kind of being teased by the Carabao Cup over these couple of days but the Premier League is back at the weekend we will chat to Alan Cawley and Peter Smith uh, about that in just a couple of moments time massive couple of days of racing as is tradition to look ahead to as well and we're going to check in on matters uh, stateside as we do on a Thursday evening with Sheppy see I should have known it was a Thursday when I looked down on the running order and saw Shep's name on it uh, that would remind me 51552 is the number for your texts at Game on 2 fm will get us on Twitter and delighted to be joined in studio by racing journalist Don McLean Don how are you? Good, thanks, Damien. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You do lose track of days. There's more yeah. about dates these days than days, isn't it? It's, it kind of all blends into one. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's you kind of you're at that that point of the year now where you don't measure it in terms of what date it actually is. You measure it more in terms of how many days do I have left to do shopping <laughs> if I'm stuck, or how many days until I'm off and I'm out the gap, which a lot of people are. But um, to use a dreadful segue, if you're in the racing industry, uh, there's no sense of relaxation. Like the, I was imagining, this isn't even the calm before the storm because the amount of work that's going on. On at this stage in advance of racing getting underway on St. Stephen's Day it's literally buckle in say goodbye to the family and we'll see you the 29th or 30th of December that's kind of it yeah but it's great you know all the preparations that are going on up at Leopardstown and Limerick and Dan Royal as well in Ireland and all over Britain um, yeah and you know trainers putting the finishing touches to their horses and that's that's I suppose red zone time now for trainers because th- those finishing touches are now going on and if anything goes wrong now at this point there's not enough time to recover from that with a mm. horse, you know, in terms of a little injury or something that could rule a horse out. But no, the, it's it's shaping up to be a very deep four days of National Hunt Racing. And the important thing, and I know there is this annual debate and cyclical debate around funding and the amount of money that goes from the government into prize money and the running of the horse racing industry. There's a significant commercial side to it as well. And that's a big deal this year is that here we are back to relative normality in terms of what will be no doubt a packed mm. Leopardstown. Yeah, no, like that. That'll it'll be it'll be massive at Leopardstown now in terms of crowds. Um, hearing that they're almost sold out now for most days, which is brilliant. And as you say, it's there haven't been full crowds back at Leopardstown's Christmas festival. We had them back at the Dublin Racing Festival back in February, but not at the Christmas festival since before COVID. So. Yeah, look, that's going to be massive. And the, we'll, before we will move on, we're going to be joined by Jane Mangan in about 10 or 15 minutes' time to, to get stuck into some of the big talking points that will play out over uh, the next seven or eight days or so. Um, but, like, it is top quality. And I know yeah. very often it is a form of escapism that we've got through Christmas, let's get to Leopardstown and let's maybe... It's harder to have a row with your grandmother when you're <laughs> at the race course rather than, you know, who's, true. who's eating the quality street or put the wrappers back into the box. Um, but you look at it, the amount of grade one races yeah. and quality races from not just here, but you factor in Kempton, you factor in Limerick. Like, it is top quality action. Yeah, no, it is, Damien. And even, like, at Leopardstown alone, there are seven grade one races and 1.4 million in prize money. You've got the grade one the Fahin Chase at Limerick on St Stephen's Day and then in Britain you've got the King George at Kempton the long walk hurdle has been rerouted from Ascot last weekend to Kempton so that's another grade one you've got the Cado Star Novices Chase at Kempton as well but like I suppose these days as opposed to let's say a good few years ago the quality of Irish National Hunt horses mm. is monstrous and they're, they're, they are, the National Hunt horses in Ireland as a collective are better than the National Hunt Horses in Britain so therefore when we have the Irish racing festivals here it's the top class the top National Hunt Horses yeah. from everywhere who are here because they're Irish mm-hmm. and because it makes sense they run here so no it's a it's a hell of a hell of a festival in store No wonder those tickets are sold out so we will chat about that in greater detail in a couple of minutes time uh, Don is going to stay in studio with us Jane is going to join us shortly but in advance of that uh, we're going to look ahead to the return of uh, the soccer calendar and we've had a little bit of it over the last couple of days as mentioned with the Carabao Cup there's a lot of focus uh, tonight on the meeting of Liverpool and Manchester City a lot of uh, scrutiny in terms of the relationship between those two clubs and what sort of teams they will put out. Delighted to be joined by Alan Cawley and uh, Peter Smith is with us as well. Hiya, Peter. Hi, good evening to you. Uh, it's good to talk to you as always. Peter, it must be so odd that Thank football you. is back after um, what, like, it, it's almost like a close season in the middle of the season. So I, I've no doubt you're, uh, the, the bag is packed, the notepad is cleared and ready to go in advance of uh, St. Oh, St. Stephen's Day. 100%, Damien. I, I've never known it in my lifetime. 
ever to have like a five-year break, a five-year, about five-week break from football. Seems like a five-year break, really. Uh, and I'm just wondering what it's going to be like when we get back to it, really. I'm sure it's going to be extremely exciting. Uh, and I'm sure the transfer window in January is going to be mega. Uh, because there'll be so many players that perform well in the World Cup that the big clubs in Europe, particularly those in the Premier League, will be after. Be interested to see whether Arsenal can maintain their pole position and whether they can expand upon their five-point lead. I think the Manchester City will overtake them at some point. Can Newcastle stay in the top three, four? Will they splash out on a megastar in the transfer window? Can Liverpool come strong? Can Manchester United maintain what's been a reasonable start? Uh, and then there's the scrap at the bottom end of the table too so I think a lot to look forward to when we reconvene on St Stephen's Day I'm telling you Peter you've done a better job than those hyped ads we see on Sky Sports are selling it to me I'm all set now and ready to go I can't wait Alan how are you? I'm good Damien how are you? Not too bad I gave you the big Christmas farewell on Monday not realising I was going to talk to you on Thursday so um that was always going to be the case, wasn't it? You, you won't get it tonight. Um, P- Peter's touched on, you know, we, we look at it there. Like, it, it is, you would imagine it is such a dilemma or such a challenge for managers in terms of, like, you look at Arsenal, four wins and a draw from the last five games. Um, you know, Man City went into the break off the back of a defeat. Newcastle, five wins in a row. That, like, you don't know what state you're going to get players back in from the World Cup. You'd kind of say to a, a team like Wolves or Southampton, you know, West Ham, Bournemouth who've all been on really bad runs of form has the break done them the world a good Arsenal is it against their advantage because their momentum has been broken that there's an awful lot of managers and sports psychologists one would imagine over the last 10 days are going to earn their crust Absolutely Damien and I think two of the clubs you mentioned there are probably the most intriguing for me because the story of the season up until the World Cup was Arsenal and in terms of the start that they've had and all the question marks around could they sustain it but their momentum has been halted obviously because of the break so I'm really interested to see can they pick up where they left off obviously they suffered a massive blow of losing Jesus during that World Cup uh, break as well so uh, that's a massive blow for their title credentials or or if they were going to go toe-to-toe at Man City so I'm really interested to see just in terms of because as you said the psychologists and everybody speak so much about momentum in sport and they were on such a run it was fabulous form that they were showing so can they pick up where they left off and Newcastle are the most interesting one also because you mentioned five wins on the trot they've been fantastic they obviously have the the money behind them now so will they dip into the transfer market in January as Peter alluded to and can they maintain the momentum as well Damien because to see them in the top four positions and it would be in a hell of an achievement if they were to finish in the Champions League places come the end of the season regardless of the money I think Eddie Howe has done a brilliant job uh, there so they're the two that I'm most intrigued just to see because it's so unique just to see can they pick up where they left off mm. Just Peter w- when we look at it and, and you know observing these clubs at close quarters as, as you've done for so long uh, Manchester City and Arsenal 26 players between them away at the World Cup uh, Spurs, Chelsea and Manchester United like their players clocked up so many minutes in terms of of combined appearances Uh, you know you've some of the the England contingent will come back to Manchester City having had quite a good World Cup Kevin De Bruyne comes back having been part of this Belgium golden generation which has failed to fire Um, realistically how much of an impact can we expect all of these things to have? I reckon we should have a little bet Damien now as to who will be the first manager that will come out and start complaining about burnout and how soon will it be into January Uh, I think we're bound to hear it at some stage from some manager rather quickly about playing too many games and it's taken too much out of of certain individuals but I think it's almost like starting again in some ways isn't it Uh, but I'm definitely with Alan regarding the Arsenal situation and the Newcastle situation you know I'm I'm wondering whether or not this system that Mikel Arteta has developed is going to stand the next 24 games. You know, it's taken a while to get going, but when they play out from the back and don't get caught in possession and go from back to middle to front, it's hugely, hugely effective. You know, but is everybody going to settle back into that? Because, as you've mentioned, they've been away with different coaches. They've been asked to play in different ways. They've been asked to do different things that might not be allied to their own football clubs. And now they've got to come back up and pick up the battling and get back into the normal routine day-to-day, dare I use that old cliche, bread and butter way of doing things. Mm. Uh, it, is, it, it, it is going to be fascinating. Um, and the Newcastle situation as well is, is, is so intriguing because I think 
all of us as football fans have all been saying the same thing. The World Cup's been magnificent, but it's always been under this backdrop of the fact that the nation that staged it have not got a good human rights record and, and have upset a lot of the people with different attitudes that are being alienated. You know, and if Newcastle do do something, there's always going to be this stigma of Saudi Arabian money, Saudi Arabian funds and all that. You know, that, that's something that's going to have to be contended with as well. Mm. But believe me, they they really are serious about winning trophies. They haven't won anything since Jackie Milburn's day, you know. Realistically, honestly, we're going back to 1955 when the great Jackie Milburn scored in the in the FA Cup finals until the, the last won something proper. I know they won the European First Cup in 1969 and came close with Kevin Keegan and the great entertainers season of 95-96. But they're going to be interesting because I bet you anything they're going to buy a big megastar who's performed well in the World Cup. Mm. And, and and eventually we'll see the likes of Mbappé playing his trade at, at Newcastle United. That's how keen and ambitious they are. Stepping stones, you know, they're doing a good job in the Carabao Cup. They'll set the stall out to try and win that. But I think they're going to be a, a force eventually. Whether Eddie Howe is the man to take it forward very long term, I'm not so sure. I think we'll see some real top coaches there. Yeah, but I, they're going to be one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I can tell you, if Mbappe swaps Paris for Newcastle, he's not doing it for either the weather or the cultural aspect of what they have to offer with the greatest of respect to Newcastle people who might be listening in. Alan, do you expect much business in the window? Yeah, there's always business in the window, Damien. And the money that's, uh, that's at play now in Premier League is just off the charts and for all of us who obviously tune into it week in, week out, and we always kind of, at the start of January, we always ask the question of when will the bubble burst? I, I'm not sure when it'll ever burst, to be honest with you, because the TV revenue and money that's generated now, it seems to be off the charts and only going one way. So I think there'll be huge money spent. The interesting question then is who's going to spend it? So definitely Newcastle, I think, will, will obviously um, be looking to reinforce things, especially when they, the position to find themselves in. There's big talk of obviously Liverpool, the lads that put themselves in the shop window in terms of maybe a couple of unknowns, the Moroccan lads, Amrabat, Unahi, uh, two standout players for them. There's big talk of Liverpool maybe signing Amrabat, also the lad that played in the final, Enzo Fernandez, who's obviously at Benfica, talk of Liverpool maybe paying big money for him. And I do think they need to strengthen in that midfield area as well. That's an area where it certainly would be of concern for Klopp at the moment, and especially with the start to the season that they've had, even though they won two on the bounce before the break. So, um, um, I definitely think money will will be spent. I'm not sure if Man United will will spend because they obviously did a lot of business in the in the summer. So it'll just be interesting to see who goes after some of those. And I definitely think some of the standout players that we saw in the World Cup will be making their way to the Premier League very soon. Damien. Um, Alan, I, I know like it's it's again I'm I'm gravitating towards the the tabloid instinct of what people will gravitate towards. But next Tuesday evening, Manchester United host Nottingham Forest, the start of life post Ronaldo. How much of an intensity do you? think Ten Hag and that squad are going to have to endure despite the fact that I think most rational thinking individuals in advance of the World Cup thought United only had one option and that was to get rid of them yeah, and I think I think the the general consensus from what I've kind of been reading and hearing and around the place is that people are quite happy with that. I think what reinforced Ten Hag's argument and the way he handled the situation was the way he behaved with his national team as well, and he threw the Portugal manager under the bus also. So that's reinforced everything that Ten Hag did in terms of the behaviour of Ronaldo. So I think that's dead in the water now, Damien. They obviously played a match last night. There was very little talk of Ronaldo pre-match. I think there was a little segment in the in the match program 82 words that he contributed to I'd say that was made that long before maybe uh, the fallout or whatever but that's the end of Ronaldo now as far as I'm concerned and I think that'll be the, the message that Ten Hag will be certainly getting across to the players and it's onwards and upwards for them Yeah and I, I suppose Peter as, as someone who covers Old Trafford so often you know if, if they can get a couple of good results under their belt starting at home to Nottingham Forest which you would expect them to win and you know away to Wolves home to Bournemouth home to Everton in advance of the Manchester Derby um, on the 14th of January if Ten Hag can put a run of results together the Ronaldo sideshow will be forgotten very very quickly yeah I, I think it's not like a new era I think that Ten Hag will be very happy to be able to move on without him to be quite honest and all this circus and all this sideshow has gone and we can't ignore it in the media these days I mean the first thing you look at when the team sheet comes is Ronaldo on is he not on and you have to include it in your match preview it, it has become a side issue I'll, I'll just say this I'm, I'm sorry that it never worked out you know because, because I believe when he signed uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, the summer before last, I, I thought he was going to be a real vital cog in the wheel. Don't forget, he joined a team that had finished second in the Premier League. 
And I, I believe that he could be the difference and, and make United into proper title contenders. But I know he set the wrong tone early on when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left him out for the Everton game and his face was like thunder and it all went downhill from that point onwards. But in terms of his footballing ability and sheer class, you know, I, I, I'm glad that I've seen him play. I mean, I mean, obviously I saw him in his previous spell before he left for Real Madrid, but you know, the, the messages of Ronaldo's don't come along too often. You know, we're too young to have watched Pelly play. Some of us might have seen a bit of Maradona. But these great stars like Ronaldo and, and Messi don't come around too often. And I'm just a bit sad, really, that we look back on his second spell and and don't speak of it fondly because he is one of the all-time greats, no matter what anybody says. But he doesn't have to put that football cliche to the test, doesn't he, about no player is bigger than the club. Because mm. he's probably as, as near as big a thing as a club can be. He, he, he go huge and... I don't know. It's something that a line's been drawn under now, and certainly from Ten Hag's point of view, upwards and onwards. And he'll be glad that he doesn't have to answer questions every week about Ronaldo. It's moving onwards now. Let's see how Ten Hag develops and creates his own side. Okay, so Alan, before we we switch and talk about Man City and Liverpool, just in terms then of the Premier League, like obviously significantly important for Arsenal to get up and running and, and maintain that good run of form if they're to keep up at the top end of the Premier League and hopefully continue those ambitions of um, you know contesting the title with Manchester City but you'd imagine the depth of talent at City they're going to have the ability to rotate somewhat better Newcastle if they recruit so you look at the table now Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, Spurs United, Liverpool like realistically the top four is going to come from that six by the end of the season yeah, 100% Damien and, and I suppose the the first focus there as you say is on Arsenal they have a game against Leicester on, on Boxing Day Stephen's Day is what we like to call it as you know Damien so uh, Monday that they do and, and normally over the festive period like Peter spoke about burnout there but I'm just looking even at the fixtures you don't have all the, go- the games crammed in they play on Monday and they don't play again until Saturday and they're obviously coming off the back of a five week break I think that will help them because one of the, the arguments always around Christmas time for managers point of view obviously fans love it and we love it and all the games but they, they are giving out about playing every second or third day uh, so you, you don't have that so they certainly have a good chance to get themselves up and running they have two very winnable games as I said of Leicester uh, on Monday and then they have Bright away on Saturday so you would fancy their chances the only thing with Arsenal at the moment is who's going to replace Jesus and the only one you can see there at the moment that they have to replace him is Eddie Nketiah and he's fine as backup but he's certainly not you, you would never consider him as a main man at one of the top clubs that have aspirations to go on and win a Premier League title so uh, I definitely think like we spoke a moment ago about reinforcing the squads I think if Jesus is obviously going to be out long term I think Arsenal need to bring in a centre forward if they want to challenge Man City for the remainder of the season uh, Peter before we, we wrap it up obviously there's plenty of focus on the Etihad tonight uh, 8 o'clock kickoff between uh, Man City and Liverpool and, and this despite the fact that we've been devoid of, of football and coverage of domestic football in England over the last couple of weeks you know it intensified again very very quickly in the pre-match press conferences and it is a game where irrespective of how strong the teams are there is going to be a considerable focus on the stands and the attempts to remedy what has become quite a toxic relationship between fans of both clubs yeah, and it's quite sad, really, because normally this sort of toxic relationship has existed between Manchester United and Liverpool, and and it's sort of extended to uh, Liverpool and City, and it's not been particularly kind or nice uh, when, when you look back. I think it all started that European night, didn't it, when uh, the City bus got um, attacked on the way to Anfield, and things went downhill ever since uh, between the, the two clubs. But I think I think they'll serve up a decent game of football on the on the field of play. Whoever's selected, let's not forget as well. Liverpool are holders, and they ended City's four-year succession of winning the the League Cup. And it's strange that this is not necessarily regarded as the most important competition of the ones that they enter. Probably the fourth most important of the competitions that both clubs enter. But they've got such a great record in it, um, and, and I can see it being a proper intense encounter. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of not pre-season about it but in terms of like you know edging themselves back into it getting back into the way of playing that they, that they want to do so but there'll be a definite edge about it tonight and, and, and two clubs who I think are going to be dominating trophies for the next couple of seasons I'm sure yeah and Alan just to, to finish like the indications Kevin Kelleher did a big interview on the Liverpool website during the week so you could take that as an indication that uh, he's going to start I, I can't see the two teams being a million miles off what 
you might see them being over the weekend in terms of a league game it, it, it's the ideal match for both to use as the springboard back into the Premier League one would think yeah absolutely Damien yeah, there'll be full strength obviously you mentioned the rivalry there that's been created over the last two or three years but because of the games that are upcoming in terms of that Christmas period and such important games as well um, of course you're going to see them a full tilt I watched Man United last night and it took them a good 45 minutes hour to get themselves going and that was against the team Burnley who had pay, played two championship games already yet Man United still kind of won comfortably in the end so I don't think it'll take long for these teams to get up to full speed but I do think at the start it'll obviously take maybe 45 minutes an hour but because of the intensity of that rivalry there'll be full tilt straight at it Damien um, I'm looking forward to the game tonight I, obviously there's a bit of a rivalry with Klopp and Guardiola as well that has um, obviously you're talking about the fans but I think a lot of it stems from their antics on the sideline as well which sometimes I like to see we want the rivalries in football uh, that's what makes it great for us as well tuned in but I think tonight when you look at both teams they'll be going hammer and tongs trying to get the victory Yeah we'll wait and see how it all plays out 8 o'clock kickoff at the Etihad Peter stay safe uh, on the road in coming days covering matches I hope you've you know, you've limbered up and you've done your own pre-season routine to get yourself back up to full fitness oh, now. I'll be ready to go don't, don't worry about that good wishes to you uh, and everybody for Christmas uh, Alan and, uh, and to you Damien and, and to you uh, to you and yours Peter everybody. take Thank care you. have Thank a good Christmas lads. Peter Smith uh, with us there Alan look after yourself we'll chat in the new Thanks, year Damien. take care Thank Alan Cawley as well plenty to chat about 51552 for your text we're going to look ahead to uh, next week's festive and new year racing in uh, two minutes time Game on Racing And you're very welcome back to the programme Don McLean is still in studio with us And in the real capital Jay Mangan, how are you? Damien, you're very complimentary You see The real capital I know how to keep you uh, I know how to keep you buttered up You need You know how to keep me at arm's length A note that you've done in studio today And me wiring in Well listen, come here If you were willing to drive up We wouldn't pay you the mileage But you'd be more than You're, you're always more than welcome You're safer with Don, I believe You know, well Yeah that's true. The, and um, the mileage is shorter. The and the mileage, mileage is shorter, mileage. you know. But you know, I yes. So I, I I get to see Jane in the flesh on probably what what Jane probably about two occasions a year. Well, you were manning the gate at the sports awards. No, see, so that's ably. Now, now you're making me sound like I was a security guard <laughs> on a Nixer. I was waiting to pounce to do interviews. Tell you, you now, were, and you did a fine job. Thanks. You think horse? You think horse like horses do some speed? You should have seen Jay Manga. I've never seen someone come out of a studio and be true reception and back in their car like a, you know, the long drive home. But anyway, um, we could stand. We could be here for hours just chatting about the irrelevancy of life but let's get down to the real business we, we touched at the top of the programme Jane on the, the commercial aspect how great it is Leopardstown is back and is back to full capacity just give us the insight for people who are working in yards this weekend and I know it's a vocation as much as anything else but I'd imagine it's a pretty intense weekend to make sure everything is in order and be it Christmas Eve be it Christmas Day it's largely irrelevant because there's there's work to be done and there's horses to be primed yeah, we were even talking with Marie about it last week during the freeze, how to maintain the gallops, to keep the water flowing during the freeze with a view to getting horses to these big festivals in optimum condition. And we know that Santa comes and we know it's celebrating the birth of Jesus, but horses need to be looked after seven days a week the very same way. They need to be exercised. They have their programme. And if they're particularly the top horses, when they're coming close to maybe a Savile's Chase or a Matheson Hurdle, every fraction counts. All the veterinary checks, all of the feeding, the watering, the riding, everything, it all matters in these yards. So I'd imagine it's, it's, it's intense, but it's what all the hard work in the autumn running up to the winter festivals are for. And hopefully, for a lot of people, Christmas will be successful, but for most, it won't. And and then just say like in the case say of of like Envoy Alain who goes to Kempton on St Stephen's Day. I presume the travel is done in advance. You're not going over on the day, presumably, are you? No. So obviously Kempton is on on Monday. So he likely travels Friday or Saturday. So tomorrow or Saturday. So the groom and maybe travelling head lad, two people probably go with him, and they'll miss Christmas. They'll spend Christmas in a groom's canteen or a groom's uh, digs over in Kempton. And I saw a little feature on Faheen recently where John Codd, who used to look after him every day in Willie Mullins's, he missed two Christmases at home with his kids 
and his family because he went to Kempton with that horse twice. So it's a real commitment. Um, it's it, it has to be a passion. Yeah. And for those big horses, I suppose, it's to get to look after a horse like Envoy Lane is a real privilege. And I think everybody who is lucky enough to look after a special horse like him, they, they know it. So it's probably what you work towards as well. OK, we'll get stuck into some of the races themselves. Um, Don, there's a slight caveat with some of these because we're still waiting declarations or we're still... There's, a, there's, there's going to be a slight asterisk alongside some of this, which we'll chat about as we go on. Um, like, if we focus primarily on, on Monday and it all getting up and running on St. Stephen's Day, um, we've the new racing post app, Novice Chase at Leopardstown. Um, big quandary, or is there a big quandary here for Gordon Elliott in terms of, of who you run and depending on who you run where Jack Kennedy rides yeah no it is it's not certain yet Damien and I was chatting to Gordon yesterday at Ferry House and he said that Phil Dore and Hollow Games they're both possible stroke probable runners so final decisions as you say haven't been made yet but and it will be it'll be a difficult decision for Jack Kennedy to decide which one to ride in like in the betting field or is favoured in front of Hollow Games and Hollow Games has to concede six pounds and field is only a four year old so he gets that allowance but you know Hollow Games last year he was kind of running over longer distances but last time he ran over two miles over fences and he was electric he was very very good he set a a nice steady pace Jack Kennedy rode him that day and when he quickened from the third last fence he jumped the last two really well he showed a turn of foot that you know maybe he hadn't it hadn't been evident that he possessed a turn of foot like that last season but he's a very very good horse field door as well one of the top juvenile herders from last season he beat Saint-Roi on his chasing debut at Navin at the end of last month and he's a serious talent as well so look they're both you see the thing about the, the novice chasers Damien that they're, we don't know how good they are they're young chasers mm. they're relatively inexperienced over fences and they've got bundles of potential to improve and I, it, I suppose it's a case of which horse improves by the most but yeah like it'll be it'll be a decision that Jack Kennedy will have to make if they both run I hope they both run because they, they, they should set the race up they should be first and second favourites in the race yeah but it's a great quandary to be in Jane isn't it yeah it's a it's a real first class pickle uh, listening to Gordon Elliott this morning he was on the Nick Look podcast he mentioned that it's uh, Jordan Gainford to go to Limerick for their feature on day one uh, to ride Jerry Cologne and he didn't mention Mighty Potter whether that horse had uh been 100% decided whether he'll go to Limerick I think they might be waiting to see what the ground is like down there but Fieldor Don mentioned the the weight he receives he receives it because of his age obviously but I was very taken with uh, Hollow Games at Navin as well he he did more in in Navin to impress me than all of his hurdles career Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Willie Mullins decides to run Dice Art Dynamo first run over fences in a grade one it's his only entry in the. I see he has Saint Raw in there as well, like who won at Navin or was second at Navin. But to fact that to give a horse an entry that hasn't actually had a run over fences, it's quite the compliment for Dice or Dynamo. So it's not going to be a big field. There's nine entries. Not all of them will be declared. It won't be a big field. Okay. Well, I tell you what. Let's let's stay at home before we head to Kempton then for St Stephen's Day. Um, Jane, you touched on the the Fahin Chase there at Limerick, and again a, a very very quali- quality field in the offing. Yes, so a number of these double entered with the race we just mentioned at Leopardstown. So Mighty Potter's in there. Uh, we mentioned Jerry Cologne will be the amount of, of Jordan Gainford, who was just touched off in this race last year on Farouk Delen by Master McShee. Uh, Guyard de Menil, he's a very experienced novice. He was third in the Irish National, second last time in a grade one at uh, the Drinmore Fairy House. Uh, Three Stripe Life is also in there for Gordon. He didn't really mention him this morning, so maybe he's not likely to go there and San Juan as well. So this actually, I don't know what Don thinks, this could be a deeper race. Don? I know, this is a hell of a race. Look, It looks like Jerry Kalam is going to go there and he's just a seriously exciting horse. He kind of had a bit of a truncated time last season over hurdles, but he went to Ferry House on his debut this season and he was really, really impressive. That was over two miles five. The Limerick race, the Guinness Fahin Chase, is over two and a half miles, but the ground is probably going to be soft down in Limerick. It usually is, and that should suit Jerry Colum. But he's a he's a kind of a horse who, who has the pace for two and a half miles, but it could be even better when he steps up and trip to three miles in time. And yeah, like it depends, as Jane was saying there, it depends what runs. Mighty Potter, it would be fascinating to see him in it. And Gordon did say yesterday that he does like to have two horses in these grade ones, mm. case, you know, just in case one of them underperforms. Uh, Gaia de Manil, he's a big player. He's also in the Neville Hotels chase at Leopardstown on the last day over three miles. And as Jim was saying there, like he's a, he's a remarkable horse. He's never won over fences, but he finished third in the Irish National. He finished second in the Drinmore chase last time as a second season. So he's probably the 
the, one of the, if not the highest rated maiden chaser in training. But he's, I, I thought he ran really well at Ferry House the last day against Mighty Potter. I thought he did well to come from as far back as he, he was quite well back early on in the race. And it was a race in which the, pal, the pace held up well. So I thought he did well to get as close to Mighty Potter as he did. So wherever he goes, he's of interest. But yeah, no, it, 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 this could be it could be a, one of the one of the highlights of St Stephen's Day down in Limerick. Okay, then we'll we'll go to Kempton, Jane, the, the King George the Sixth Chase, which is always one of those big dates in the diary. Um, how quality or a renewal can we expect this year? It's a very good race. It's not uh, it's not an absolutely corkering race, but it, there's nine left in it at this stage. And Paul Nichols has the top two in the market in Brave Man's Game and Hitman, the mounts of Harry Cobden and Sam Twiston Davis, respectively. I like Lompresse. I think if there's going to be a Gold Cup horse come out of it, it will be him for Venetia Williams, albeit she'll probably want all the rain he can get. In Violin, Rachel Blackmore will be heading across. Uh, St. Stephen's is morning to ride for Henry Bromhead he surprised me at Down Royal I won't lie I'd be surprised if he wins a King George but he has surprised me already uh, Ahoy Senor has been confirmed by Lucinda Russell he's a very talented horse but so frustrating with his jumping he really doesn't like to listen to his rider and you've got Royal Pagai throwed on the Mount of Bryony Frost who only returned to race riding yesterday after breaking her collarbone in the autumn in Eldorado Allen so it's a good King George and do we have a chance of bringing it home to Ireland we have one bullet to fire and it wouldn't be an ace in the pack you go along with that Tom? no I, I think Envoilan has a chance I, I really do Like I, I just think that there's more to come from him over three miles he's a horse who got two and a half miles well he was a superstar novice hurdler novice chaser and you know it was brilliant to see him winning at Down Royal last time again things didn't go right he wasn't as slick over his fences as he, as he was or can be over the shorter trips but I thought he battled on well and like it, it I, you kind of thought Kempton would suit him because he's that kind of good traveller. Kempton, it's a the key at Kempton is pace and jumping and rhythm. It's it's quite a sharp track. It's a, like you do have to stay three miles to get and win a King George, obviously, but you you also need pace to be able to hold a position, and you need to jump fluently like he can do. And I think he can jump better than he did at Down Royal. So I think he's got a big chance. Great brave man's game. Shane was saying he's he's favourite. He won the the Cato Star and Novices Chase at this course last year, so the Novices race here. So and whenever he won it, whether he won the Charlie Hall Chase, Paul Nichols said straight away he's going straight to the King George. So we haven't seen him since then, but that has been the plan. So I think he's a worthy favourite. But I agree with Jane and Lompresse. If the ground came up soft, I think he's a stronger stayer than Brave Man's Game. If the ground came up very soft, I think he'd, he'd go off favourite and he'd have a favourite's chance. Um, just on the Christmas hurdle then, um, which a lot of focus on Constitution Hill, it's almost a referendum on where Constitution <laughs> Hill is going to go. That's it, yeah. Ah, oh, look, this fella, he's, you know, all that's been written and all that's been said about him, it's all true. He's just, the things he's been doing, he's just a phenomenal horse. What he did in the Supreme Novices Hurdle, he clocked a serious time, then he went his first run this season. I was kind of thinking, you know, the serious hype about this horse, he just has to go and live up to it. And he did, and went probably went beyond it as well, if that was possible. And look, it's a case of how good Constitution is at the moment. How good could he be? And if all stay, if he stays sound, please God, he could be anything. But no, he's just a, he's just a... You know he's a he's a he's a he's a, an extraordinary racehorse, and it's yeah it's going to be he's going to be long odds on in the Christmas hurdle. It's not, nothing to do with betting, but mm. it's just going to be great to see him there. Yeah, a penalty kick, Jane. Yeah, he's as exciting an office hurdler as is in training. I'm not going to say he's the best, but he's on his way there. Okay, the uh, long walk hurdle done. Yeah, this is this is the race that has been rerouted from Ascot. It was supposed to run at Ascot there last week, and the, because of the frost, it was called off. So it's good they saved it, and they've run it. They're running it now at Kempton, and it's, it it does change the race a wee bit because Kempton and Ascot, while they're both right-handed, Ascot's a stiffer track, and I think that's probably going to be against Paisley Park. Paisley Park and, and Champ, who reopposes who reopposes Paisley Park, they finished second, first at Newbury last time in the long distance hurdle. Champ just came out on top, and I think at Kempton, Champ probably has the better chance as well. I'm looking forward to seeing Goshen ste- stepping up to three miles. He's look, he's a he's an erratic horse, but going right-handed, he's a, he's, he's a, he, w- he had the triumph hurdle in the bag when he fell at the final flight, famously, and he won well over two and a half miles at Ascot last time. I think back at Ascot and stepping up to three miles, I think he's interesting, and he, he could be a horse who could outrun his odds by a little way. Okay, before we move on then to the other days, Jane, anything you want to add to that? I, I think I'd echo what, Gaff, what 
Donna said about Goshen, three miles is made for him and he's still only six, it's hard to believe. Okay, we've, I think, um, we've, is it 12, 11 grade ones altogether that we could potentially talk about, so we won't. Um, like Jane, in terms of like Tuesday, we've the, the Paddy's Reward Club Chase, the Champions Novice Hurdle, like we've so much to look forward to. What, what else in particular really stands out for you if there's races not to be missed over the course of the week? Like Savile's Chase, we could go on the, the Jack de Bromhead Christmas Hurdle on Wednesday, the Madison Hurdle on Thursday, like there's so much to look forward to yeah they're the main two races for me is the Savills Chase which is like the Gold Cup of the of the week and uh, the Masson Hurdle which is seeing Sharjah go for the five in the row if if you can all tune into RT Racing if you can't get to, to Leopardstown itself we didn't have crowds at Leopardstown if you can come please do because the atmosphere will be electric despite the cold just put on lots of clothes at Plutar what will we see from him when he comes back after a disappointing run of Haydock we know he's so much better than what we've seen uh, Gordon has got Galvin in there he's got conflated William Williams could run Statler and then you go and you could see the future champion hurdle winner will it be Stateman or will it be Sharjah in the Maston hurdle there's so many angles to look at it with you've got uh, Tahupo in there as well we probably won't see Vauban um, yeah it's it's it's, it's from a racing perspective and a sports fan like I'm not a soccer fan and I love the World Cup but this in terms of racing in Ireland it doesn't get any better it's not our World Cup but it's not far off it OK well no, that's, uh, th- that echoes what we were talking about at the top of the programme Don what else you know obviously the Savile's Chase jumps out the Madison yeah. jumps out anything else in particular like we, we often I, I often think we fixate on St Stephen's Day being the best day of all mm. but very often the great depth of talent is hidden not quite hidden away but it's not it's not the day that everyone's trying to rush out of the house well that's it like actually of the, the seven grade one races one of them is on St Stephen's Day at Leopardstown and the other three days of two each so there are more grade one races the other three days and obviously there's, there's the Faheen Chase the other grade one race at Limerick but look all of what Jane said there like Sharjah he's a remarkable horse he's won four Matheson hurdles in a row Isterbrack won four but not in a row Hurricane Fly won four but not in a row and he's going for his fifth and if he's to be beaten it'll probably be by his stable companion Stateman who was very good at winning the Morgana hurdle he's the coming horse he won the county hurdle last season Willie Mullins horse as well but it'll be good to see Sharkin for Swab back the if, if Apple Tard takes his chance in the Savile's chase and it's not certain that he's going to but hopefully he does because he was just disappointing at Haydock last time they found something wrong he had a blood disorder so it'd be great to see him bouncing back and Fasil Vega he could take his chance in the future champions novices hurdle he's another horse who could be anything a son of Quivega and he like he's he was brilliant as a bumper horse last year brilliant in his hurdling debut of the season so yeah lot to lot to look forward to with him as well Jane I, I don't want to I don't want to finish on a, on a sad note but the, the thing that I, I'm reading a lot of reviews of the year and we're you know involved in various programs over this time of the year reflecting on 2022 and you know Jack de Bromhead is one of this inexplicable events of the year that's just gone by and it's just so hard to make sense of how something like that can happen in life and, and a, a force of energy so vibrant and with so much to offer can just be quenched but the, the the length to which the racing industry has rallied around the, the Bromhead family and seems so intent on making his legacy last like it, it really jumps out again that here amongst the creme de la creme of racing and it'll be the same again at Cheltenham that people have found this space to pay tribute and pay memory to a great young man yeah, well, there is no making sense of it because it doesn't. And I think every sporting community, no matter what your discipline, rallies around their own community and racing is no different. And it's I think everybody feels it's the least they can do in their own little way. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a testament to his popularity and his family's popularity that everybody mm. is behind making his legacy last. Yeah, and Red Oak Murphy, Dylan Cork, there's so many different people in, in various sports. Um, Jane, enjoy the racing, safe travels up and down the road over the course of, of the next week, and thank you for your company this evening and for your company over the course of 2022. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope Santa comes. No doubt. Well... No doubt, Jay Mangan's on the good list. Don, to you and yours, thank you very much uh, for your time and happy Christmas to you and all. Uh, You've the the laptop will be in flames by the end of the week. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Look, it's it's. uh, I'm looking forward to it. Lots, Damien. You know, as James saying there, it's a it's just a feast of top class racing. So it's going to be. You know, you'd be you'd be working, but you're not work at all. It's it's brilliant. And yeah, looking forward to it. Lots. Don't tell people that. (laughs) Look, happy Christmas to you. And to you. Thanks very much, Don. Don McLean in studio. Jay Mangan uh, joining us from Cork. We have a break to take. We're going to check in with Shep on the far side of this. Game on. Eye on America.
And you're very welcome back to the programme. We are going to cross to the States and say, well, good afternoon in your case to Shep. Hey, how's it going, Damien? Not too bad. And you, in case I forget to say to you later, happy Christmas, happy New Year, happy birthday if I missed that over the course of 2022. Well, it's it's in it's January sixth, so it's all oh. coming right away. Well, there you go. See, my son is January. See, here's here's our first tangent already. My young lad is seven on New Year's Day, which makes it brilliant because you just hit the sales straight away, and there's the present sorted. You know. There you go. So there. Now, if I if I was living a bit closer to you, I'd do the same, but I'm not, so I won't. <laughs> anyway. Um, um, it's, uh, it's it's the sort of thought that counts. Yeah, I'll I, I tell you what, I will text you, and let me stick a note in my diary now, just text Shep on January 6th. Um, we've been chatting here about, uh, we've obviously a, a massive calendar of horse racing, which is such a big part of the Christmas schedule here in Ireland. We've the Premier League and soccer getting back underway uh, post-World Cup. Obviously, the mm-hmm. NFL just rolls on through Christmas, and for a lot of people is even the highlight of Christmas Day. The, the, the big issue this year, and I suppose they're well used to dealing with it at this stage is you've got the cold snap of all cold snaps to try and contend with and play uh, the biggest sport in the country in the middle of. Yeah, so Damien, I mean, the NBA has kind of always, you know, had a, a bunch of really good games on on Christmas Day. And then the NFL over the last couple of years has just kind of said, no, we're, we're going to take that too, you know. I mean, we've taken everything else. And um, so... Games, you know, start tonight. You've got Jacksonville in at New York in the, to take on the Jets. And then you've got, oh, I mean, like f- seven or eight games on Saturday, another seven or eight games on Sunday, and then the Monday night game. So, I mean, it is really going to be, you know, a full weekend full of, of NFL football. They've got some college football bowl games going on as well. But, yeah, I mean, it, the but you, you're right. The weather that is moving across, you know, it's what we're calling the Arctic blast. You, you know how the media likes to make scare people a little bit, right, Damien? You know, it's a bomb cyclone. That's another word that I've heard. But what's going on is it's just going to be really cold in parts of America that typically uh, do not get very cold. For instance, you know, I, I live in the southeast part of the country, and um, we're looking at, you know, 50 degrees right now Fahrenheit, um, which I, I think we did the – the uh, the conversion before the show, I think that's about 16 or so, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, and it's going to be 7 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative 13 Celsius. So that's just not weather that we're typically getting here. Denver saw out west, they saw their temperature drop about um, about uh, 50 degrees in an hour yesterday. So it, it's... It is just a massive blast of cold air that is moving in, and it's going to be here through the holiday weekend. Snow all over the country, which then obviously turns around and impacts NFL football games in places like Chicago and uh, Cleveland on Saturday. They're talking about playing the coldest game in the history of the Saints franchise is going to be Saturday in in Cleveland, where they're looking at at it being about 15 degrees and snowy and windy. So it's just going to be miserable football. Uh, It's going to be fun to watch. I would hate to be there in person, um, but luckily I won't have to be. Yeah, just on, on, like, we're so used to racing taking place, but it starts on St. Stephen's Day on the 26th and runs through... Premier League soccer, the same thing. You know, players are just so used to the fact that you maybe train on Christmas Day, go to a hotel in the evening. But I know the NBA rotated around, so I think there's six teams in action on Christmas Day this year. Like, I know it's 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 a diverse, multi-denominational society that you live in, but like Christmas Day has now gone beyond the point of being sacred in terms of of a day off. Like, is there an opposition to this or is this just, if you're going to pay me X hundred million dollars over the course of my contract, I will do whatever you want me to do on whatever day of the week you want me to do it? Because you need, yes, you need the eyeballs on the TV screens and so people are home, they're dealing with their families, some in a good way, some in a bad way, they're looking for something to watch. Um, you know, some places, you know, they, maybe they stay in the Christmas spirit and they watch movies, you know. But, I mean, uh, here at the Shepherd household, you know, we've been watching Christmas movies, you know, every night for the last week or so. And we'll continue, you know, through the through the 24th and 25th. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll watch Die Hard. We'll watch Lethal Weapon. You know, we'll watch Christmas Vacation, all the, all the holiday classics. Mm. And then we watch a Christmas story for, you know, 24 hours. But at some point, it's kind of like, okay, I'm ready to watch sports, yeah. you know. And so there's... People home, there's eyeballs on televisions. Those those TV contracts go to, to make the big salaries. So, yes, I mean, if you're a player and that's when it is, 
you're just going to show up and go uh, go make a lot of money that and day. Of course, it's not Christmas until Alan Rickman falls off Nakatomi Plaza. Um, That's right. On on the NFL, uh, we you know I think particularly the uh, NFC conference is really starting to shape up in terms of uh, you know the Eagles have secured their playoff berth, as have I think the Dallas Cowboys, the Vikings, and the 49ers yep. are um, almost on the way there as well. Uh, Buffalo Bills likewise. So the business end of the year is starting to yep. shape up very very quickly before Rihanna has even probably done her first dry run for the Super Bowl. <laughs> right, so there's there's three weeks left to go in the season, so, uh, you know, everybody's played 14 games so far. Uh, this, you know, uh, this weekend, you've got Philadelphia traveling down to Dallas, and you mentioned, you know, the Eagles locked up a playoff spot the other day. They can not only win the NFC East division that da- that they're in with Dallas and the Giants and the Commanders, um, but they can also clinch the number one seed in the playoffs as well on this Saturday if they beat the Cowboys. But an interesting twist this, this morning, uh, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts, who is right now the frontrunner to be the MVP in the NFL, uh, has been declared out of the game with a shoulder injury. So he is not going to play in this game. Now, their backup quarterback, I'm sure, is a guy that we've spoken about before in years past, Damien. The always entertaining Gardner Minshew is the backup quarterback for the Eagles. So he and his mustache um, and his, you know, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite demeanor will be uh, the backup quarterback. And he's played a bunch in the NFL. And so, you know, there will be some drop off, but it, it's not expected to just be a huge, you know, tremendous drop off. Um, but it, that's a significant injury. But the plan is, is that, you know, Hurts would be out maybe this one game and then come back you know and, and play the rest of the season and in, 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 definitely in the playoffs as well mm. Garden Minshew for people who, who aren't familiar with him he's kind of like the missing member of the village people crossed with somebody <laughs> who raided the Macho Man Randy Savage's wardrobe is that a fair description? That's <laughs> it's, it's pretty spot on and, and I tell you what Damien he, he's had an interesting week um, you know ahead of um, you know, being declared the starter for this game. And, and there were some rumors that he was going to play because they knew Hurts got hurt last Sunday. But um, Minshew actually flew back uh, into the state of Mississippi, was where he's from, on Tuesday. His college football coach passed away um, a week or so ago, and he was coaching at Mississippi State. And this was a very odd situation, you know. Not a lot of active college football coaches, you know, kind of pass away while they're still doing the job. You think of it as an, you know, older, retired coach type thing. And so Minshew actually flew away from Philadelphia, away from the team, away from practice this week um, so he could speak at the funeral uh, and then has flown back up and has joined the team and is, is getting ready to take on the Cowboys. Okay. Um, if we switch attention to, to baseball, like a, a really controversial or, well, certainly debate-generating um, transfer overnight, a $315 million 12-year contract. Like, I'm telling you, I do it for half the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd do it for a third or an eighth. You I know, see. I mean, my, my uh, ambitions are my, my. I have a greater sense of self worth than you. Like, well, me. clearly, I have probably something I need to work on yeah. in the new year. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so Carlos Correa, uh, who had actually, and, and, and here's the thing, Damien, he had agreed, you know, to go and play for the San Francisco Giants last week on a pretty similar contract, uh, you know, lengthwise and money wise, and then. Yesterday morning, boom, he announces he's going to go play for the New York Mets. And um, it kind of, you know, really kind of shook things up. And so really, you know, you, you know, free agency. I mean, look, we've seen, I mean, look, even, you know, with, with Messi this week and, and some of the other stuff that goes on in the world of, you know, European football, some of the numbers, as you know, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just continues over here in Major League Baseball as well. And so Correa is going to go to the Mets. But the Mets in particular are... I don't necessarily want to say guilty of fueling that, but obviously money is no object in New York at the moment. No, no, not at all. And again, it it comes back to the TV contracts and it comes back to ticket sales and and all of that same stuff. And I mean, look, you know, baseball... Uh, they have a they have what they call a salary cap, you know. But then there's a you can pay you can pay above that, uh, and they pay which, what they call the luxury tax in American sports, where if you choose to you know pay pay more in salary to your players uh, above the salary cap, you have the luxury tax. The difference that baseball doesn't have that other leagues do is 
They don't have a minimum. They don't, there's no salary floor. So that's why you have such disparities in the rosters in Major League Baseball when it comes to payroll. So you've got teams like the Yankees and the Mets, uh, usually the Red Sox, the Dodgers. They're always just going to spend more, spend more, spend more than everybody else. And you have these other teams in, in smaller markets, maybe like the Brewers and the Kansas City Royals and some different places like that. that I mean, they just don't. You know, they don't have as deep pockets, and so they can't offer money to free agents like you can in a place like New York. That's how you can not bat an eyelash at the numbers that you just said, yeah. you know, if you're a, a baseball fan in America. And, and then just, um, like, on that, I was, uh, like, uh, people who've listened to you and me um, spout on over the last couple of years will know that, like, uh, obviously Chicago is a very special place for both of us. And um, right. So, like, I, I was I was following the Cubs the other day on Twitter, and they announced uh, Dansby Swanson, you know, signing, mm-hmm. and the press conference is really emotional, and he's talking about his grandfather and how he used to visit his grandfather who had the Cubs games on and the Cubs were such a big integral part of his relationship with his grandfather and this family legacy and then in the next breath you find out it's $177 million which is the second richest deal in the history of the Cubs so like I'm all into your sentimentality but I'm equally realistic enough to realise that the $177 million will be um, will be uh, you know obviously a nice way to remember your grandfather as well That'll buy a lot of deep dish pizza, right, Damien? Oh, um, yes. <laughs> well, and, and what was interesting was, is, you know, Dansby Swanson, you know, he was from the South. He played college in Tennessee, and then he played for the Braves. So, you know, he was he, it was interesting. You know, the, the Braves are a very um, regional team all across the Southeast. Um, you know, there's just, they have fans in all, all the states in the South. And so, you know, he, he kind of felt like, you know, he grew up, he was one of us. Now, I am a Cubs fan, as you and I have spoken about before. Um, so I, I love the fact that that's where he's going. But, yeah, to hear that juxtaposition of, you know, tugging at the heartstrings and talking about these great memories and then, oh, yeah, also, you know, he's going to get paid however many millions of dollars, you know, a day to go play this baseball game. It, it is, it's, it's just nice to hear, right? Yeah. right at the holidays. It just warms you in the hearts, doesn't and it? The other fact as well is that behind every overpaid man is a successful woman. His wife plays for the Chicago Red Stars in the NWSL as well. So well, now we're getting somewhere. See, there you see. There you go. Um, come here to you and yours. I wish you the best of the season. It is always one of the highlights of my week when I do this program is to have a chat with you. And on some occasions, we even manage to have more than the time we've allocated rather than cut you short as we do time and time again. So uh, to you and Mrs. Shep and the mini Sheps, I hope Santa comes and I wish you a healthy and prosperous 2023. Well, thank you, Damien. I appreciate it. All the best to Team O'Meara. And that's just great producing by Laura today. She was able to get us more time. That's phenomenal. No, she said to me earlier on, she said, like, you know, realistically, you could probably do more with Shep tonight on one program than you've managed to do in all the programs you've presented with him over the year. So you probably <laughs> hit that, you know. Um, anyway, listen, to you and yours, all the best. And we'll chat, no doubt, next year, all going well. All right. Thanks, Damien. Have a good night. And you, Shep, uh, joining us from the States as always. That brings to a conclusion our last live programme of 2022. Tomorrow night on the programme, there are reflections on uh, some Irish sports people who had books out in 2022. So if you've... If there's a petrol station open near you and you're struggling for a book for somebody as a present, hopefully you might get some inspiration from the programme uh, tomorrow night. A word of thanks to our broadcast coordinator, Laura Lee Davies, the hardest working woman in show business for her efforts over the course of the year. Adrian Eames produced the programme tonight. Betta De Silva is on the way after 7 o'clock. From Damien O'Mara, all of us here, happy Christmas. We'll chat to you in 2023. RTE 2FM.